You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. If you're turning with me in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is where we're going to start. Some of y'all are mad at NFL players. I saw you sitting down in worship. Today, I want to talk to you about the open road. The open road. Life is a highway. How do we in life keep moving forward? It seems like so many people get stuck or stop that keeps on coming up. Thanks, Danielle. That was a great illustration. It keeps on coming up. How do we keep from getting stuck? How do we keep from driving off into a ditch and not being able to go anywhere? It keeps on coming up for the last few weeks, and we're going to talk about it again today. But how do we keep moving forward? How do we stay on the open road? How do we keep advancing? How do we stay out of the ditch and move on? So most of you guys know that about... Four weeks ago, Danielle left here, and she pulled out the driveway down there. What? No, this is a great illustration. She's really helped with my messages for the last few weeks. So, and you guys know that she ran off in the ditch right here on the side of the driveway. And went down in there, and, and it was, her back tire was sticking up in the air and doing this cool little spindy motion, and it was cool. All right, and she got out, and the car wasn't really messed up or anything, and it, everything was good. You guys know the story that me and Malachi went out there and helped her, and we pulled it out with Malachi's truck, and it was no big deal. See, it's been about four weeks, and as far as I know, she hasn't driven in any more ditches since then. In the last four weeks, unless I just don't know about it, she probably wouldn't tell me because I might mention it in church again or she, tell Malachi, don't tell me. But have you driven in? No. See, she said no. <laughs> she hasn't driven in any more ditches in the last four weeks. Why? Because she learned from it. It's not because she got scared that that would happen again because that was something that happened in her life and in her past and it could have been worse than it was or it could have messed up the vehicle. So she could have went and hid and just parked the car in a garage somewhere and never drove again. I'm going to have to get rides. I have to move somewhere where there's Marta because I'm never going to drive again. And it sounds funny and ridiculous, but how many times do we do it in life? Like I messed up or I got this thing in my past and so I'm just going to be stuck there and I'm never going to figure out how to move on and I'm not going to learn from it and I'm not going to get any better from it. I'm just going to, no, I'm done with that. Oh, I'm stuck. Just leave the car there in the ditch. Oh, well, can somebody give me a ride home? That's not how I want to live. It's not how any of us should Live. She learned from it, and she was in relationship with people that helped her get out. 
if you are in isolation and have no relationships in your life, I don't know that it's possible to get out of the ditch, whatever ditch we're talking about. If you're alone in life, well, when a storm hits or a hard time hits or you fall in a ditch of addiction or a ditch of abuse or a ditch of whatever, it's hard to get out alone. In fact, it's almost impossible. The problem is we get comfortable in our ditch. After a while, if we sit in that same ditch for long enough, we get comfortable. We start hanging pictures. Get us a little throw rug. Wipe off our feet. Well, I guess this is where I'm going to live. We stop moving forward. Complacency is part of the human psyche. That's why, like... They say when you move into a house, I mean, unless it's a brand new house, when you move into a house, you're supposed to go ahead and try to get everything you want to do to that house. You're supposed to do it right when you're first moving in or before you move in because once you move in and you live there for a while, complacency, you you just get okay with stuff. Right? Like that, that big hole in the sheetrock that used to bother you and now you've looked at it so long you forget it's even there. So somebody comes over and says, what happened to the wall? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, as we sit there and look at something long enough, it, gets, it becomes normal. Don't get stuck. How? How do I not ride back into that same ditch? Because I don't know about y'all, but in my life, I have certain ditches and certain things that that mess me up, areas that I get stuck and I have relationships and friends and I have people that I'm accountable to and that I can call and, and I get in the Word and, and I get out of the ditch, but I don't want to keep running in the same ditch. If I'm growing 10 years from now, I shouldn't still be getting stuck in the same ditch that I'm getting stuck in right now. It should be a different one further down the road. So how do I keep from running back in it? Guardrails. Put up some guardrails. You ever paid attention to the guardrails on the side of the road? Usually when they put up a guardrail, it's because there's something pretty dangerous right on the other side of that thing that you don't need to drive into, like a cliff or another lane of traffic coming your way. The guardrail's there for a reason. And just pay attention when you leave today. Look at those guardrails up there. Like on the bridge over I-20 and stuff, you can see where tons of people have hit them. There's dents and colors of car paints. I don't know who it is that keeps that runs into guardrails all the time. Because as I was thinking about this message, I was noticing guardrails. You know how when you think about something, all of a sudden it's everywhere. So I've looked at every guardrail from here all around town. And they've all been hit. Looks to me like hundreds of times. People hit guardrails, and guess what? They don't get mad. Dumb guardrail. I can't believe that thing was there. I, I, I'm state of Georgia put a guardrail there. I wanted to fly off that cliff. That's ridiculous. The guardrail might scrape up your car or dent your front bumper, but it's a whole lot better than going off that cliff. 
So what's your ditch? What kind of guardrails can you set up in your life to keep you from going off the cliff? Because trust me, the guardrail might be a little bit uncomfortable or it might be a little bit embarrassing, but it's better than going off a cliff. It's better than running into a lane of oncoming traffic. You know your ditch. So you know what kind of guardrails you could set up. If you struggle with looking at inappropriate things on the web, then there are all kinds of ways that you could set up. Well, cut out the internet out of your life if that's something that's a ditch for you or a problem with you. Oh, I can't do that because I need it for work. Okay, good. There's all different kinds of little websites that you can get. I have a friend that he's got this app on his phone. And everything that he looks at on his phone, on the internet, on his laptop, once a month it sends an email, two emails out. One to his wife and one to his pastor that tells everything he's looked at on his phone or his computer for a month. Why? Because that's a ditch. That's a cliff that he saw himself running into and he had to put up some guardrails. If alcohol is your ditch that you run into, then put up some guardrails. Don't drink a beer at the party. Why? Because it's a sin? No, it's not a sin to drink a beer. But if that's your ditch that you fall into and it makes you not be the person that God's called you to be, then maybe you need to set up some guardrails and say it's fine for you and it's okay for her, but it's not good for me, so I'm going to put up a guardrail. And and I might bump into that guardrail when when everybody comes up and offers me one and I say, no, I'm going to have milk. I'll just take a water, and they laugh at me and make a little bit of fun. Yeah, I just bumped into the guardrail, but guess what? I didn't fly off the cliff because that's my issue. So I need to be the man that I need to be for my family and for the kingdom. And I'm not picking on any one thing, you understand. It's what do you deal? What's your ditch? Man, what's the thing that has the potential to wreck your life? I don't plan on saying this, and I don't even know who I'm talking to, but. Stop getting off that exit. The damage you are doing will be irreversible. Set up a guardrail. So how? How do we get and stay unstuck? How do we get past the past? So many people get hung up on the past. Mistakes that they've made in the past or things that people have done to them in the past or things that they've done to other people in the past. And So many people I sit and talk with, they get hung up on the past. They get stuck in the past. Good or bad. You can get stuck on good things in the past too. The good old days. The good time. Back when I was this or that. Or back when life was good. Or Paul said, one thing I do. I forget the past. And press on. 
toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Life is short, so make sure you spend as much time as possible on the internet arguing with strangers about politics. You know, I mean, that's what really counts. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. How do we get and stay unstuck? How do we get past the past? There is a relationship that'll get you past your past. And it'll bring new life. If you don't get past your past, it won't let you live. The past is a point of reference, not a residence. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And look what he says. Therefore, if any, if any man be in Christ. Now, that word any, if you look it up in the concordance, it's a Greek word. It was translated any. And you know what it means? Any. Any, every, any. Any man or woman, that's mankind, be in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. All things. So if any person is in Christ. See, a lot of times we talk about Christ in you. Remember that scripture? Christ in you is the hope of glory. The fact that Christ is in you and you're saved and he's in you. It's the hope that God will receive glory because Christ is in you and Christ can come out of you. But Paul's talking about here is that you can be in Christ. In fact, this says to be new, you must be in Christ to be made new. To not be stuck in the past and old and sin and death. And to be made new, we can be in Christ. Well, what does that look like? It's like being in a swimming pool. It affects everything. It affects the way you move, the way you breathe. You ever try to fight somebody underwater? That's frustrating. Even when you get out, it's just dripping off of you. Water is. To be in Christ should affect the way that you live. If you just show up to church and you say, I'm a Christian, and you you know, show up to ladies' Bible study, but it doesn't affect the way you live or what you look like, nobody can tell any difference in you, then maybe you're not in Christ. Maybe He's just in you. You're good at hiding Him. He's hidden in there somewhere. This morning in our devotion um, for the worship team, it asks us the question, how would your neighbors or people that come in contact with you, how would they know that you're a Christian? Like, can they look at your life or anything that you do? Is there a light that shines? Is there any way or would it be a surprise? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 
He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How do we get unstuck? In Christ. Verse 18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to be reconciling people back to God. Verse 19 says, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The word that's breath or voice. That creative breath that God breathed into Adam and that now is on the inside of us since we have the Holy Spirit. The breath, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. How? In Him. That's how we'll be made the righteousness of God, is in Him, in Christ. He became so we could become. Verse 21 tells us, Jesus became sin so we could become righteousness. So how do I get past my past? I've got to learn to live in Christ. The old things are passed away. And all things are new. I've got to renew my mind. If we want to see a transformation, Romans 12:1 tells us the only way to see a transformation is by the renewing of our mind. I got four things you need to know that you need to remind yourself of daily. To live in Christ. If you want to get past the past, to live in Christ, these four things will change the way you live. First one, in Christ I'm forgiven. If you don't know that, if you don't believe that, then you'll spend the rest of your life in condemnation, works, trying to earn it, trying to be good enough, do good. You have to know that you're forgiven. In Christ, I am forgiven. And you've got to remind yourself of that. It doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter who. Like, you were forgiven on the cross. Past, present, and future. You are forgiven. Have you ever gotten a dent... In your car, have you ever, let me, let me say that again because some, some of us wouldn't really care if there was another dent in our car. Have you ever had a nice vehicle and you got a big dent in it? You know how that, it makes you feel just almost like sick to your stomach every time you see it? Oh, I can't believe I did that. There's nobody to blame but me and... You can be having a great day and you're in work and things are going good and everything's good and you walk outside and you take a look at that and then, oh gosh, all, immediately, 
sick to your stomach. <laughs> oh, man. Another mistake. It makes you feel sick. Even if your day is going perfect, bam, you see it? And all those feelings come back. It's in the past. It's over. In the same way, you can hear that song or drive by that old house or see the one that hurt you in Walmart and all those emotions come back. Just like seeing that dent. The past floods over you. And at that moment, you can choose to live in that. You can. You can choose to get angry. You can choose to get upset. You can choose to go somewhere in your mind you don't need to go. You you can choose that. Because God gave you free will. So yeah, in that moment... You can choose that or you can choose to be found in Christ. You can punch them in the face. That's not really going to help anything. In Christ, I am forgiven. You must forgive, but guess what? You got to learn how to receive forgiveness too. You got to receive forgiveness for yourself. And usually the ones that have a hard time forgiving others are the ones that can't forgive themselves. Most people, if they can't forgive other people, it's usually a good indicator that they they can't forgive themselves. You got to know that you're forgiven. Romans 8 uh Romans 8:1 says this, Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation, none, no condemnation to them which are, what? In Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's zero condemnation. If you are found in Christ and you're walking after the Spirit, walk after it. Walk after life, not death. Choose life, not death. You know, thousands of times a day, you get to choose life or death. Thousands of decisions every single day. What am I going to choose now? What am I going to choose now? You can choose life and be found in Christ. God didn't create Pinocchio. We're not just puppets on a string. Why? Because he wanted us to choose to love him. He wanted relationship with us. But what kind of relationship is that if I build a puppet and I make it love me? It's a dumb relationship. No, if you love somebody that doesn't love you back, you can go to jail for that. (laughs) I'm just saying. That's not love. God gave us a free will, so we choose to love Him. So every one of those decisions that pops in your mind, you can choose death or life. 
It's up to you. And get back to my notes. So in Christ, I'm forgiven. The second one is in Christ, I'm valuable. You are. Every one of you is valuable, whether you know it or not. And if you don't know it, it's going to be really hard for you to live in Christ if you don't believe that you're valuable. Because you're his sons and you're his daughters. You are valuable to him. You have to believe that to live in Christ. In Christ, I am valuable. We think that we've devalued ourselves or someone else has or we're dirty. We're not good enough. We can't get it right. And that's not true. Your worth comes from your maker. We all fall down. We all get stuck. Get up. Even Superman had kryptonite. Don't run around thinking that you're untouchable. That you don't need anybody or you don't need help or you can get yourself out. or No. That's not how God set it up. Proverbs 16, 18 says pride comes before a fall. The Message Bible words it like that. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Don't start thinking you got it. You can, you can beat it on your own. You need people. Christians should be known for their compassion, not their criticism. And the sad thing is, a lot of times Christians are more known for their criticism than their compassion. What lens are you looking through? You know, if you put on a pair of glasses, if I put on a yellow pair of glasses, everything looks yellow. And in the same way, if I put on a pair of glasses that has a broken lens, then the whole world is broken to me. Every situation I look at, every person I look at, every relationship I look at, it's all broken. And maybe it's just my glasses. Everything I look at is negative. What's this world coming to? Maybe it's the glasses I've got on. Everything's not broken. You are valuable. Maybe you've just been looking through a broken lens. We've got to learn to see people the way God sees people. Labels, names that were put on you or labels that were put on you and other people. They're not always true or right. A lot of names. Remember what your parents called you? What that it's not always right. Was Clint black? Was Barry White? Was Marvin Gay? Was George Strait? Stevie Wonders. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> no one goes to a football game and cheers for the referee. Nope. Never have, never will. I was at a football game yesterday. 
And the only thing that happened to referees was they got screamed at. Nobody cheers for the ref. You know why? Because he's standing on the field the whole entire time pointing out what people do wrong. I'm sad to say a lot of Christians think that's their job. I got a foul over here, and oh, he drank a beer, and she did this, and that. that. Nobody cheers for the ref, dude. Titus got obsessed with getting some jerseys here probably a month or two ago. He wanted some, he wanted him some Falcons jerseys, right? He was looking at Matt Ryan and Julio jerseys, and he was trying to get special editions and all kind of stuff. He's wearing one right now. Now that I mention it, he's wearing a Julio jersey right now. But guess what? In all that looking and searching on the Internet and all that stuff, Titus never tried to buy a ref jersey. God, that was a good ref we had out there last Sunday. I'm going to get his jersey. Nope. I bet he doesn't even know any ref's names. They don't win the game. All they do is point out what was wrong. They try to find the problem. Nobody likes them. Let's pause for a minute and pray for the referees of America. (laughs) The ref didn't win the game. He just pointed out what everybody did wrong. Are you a ref or a player? Look at somebody and say, I'm a player. In a good way. (laughs) We're supposed to point out value in people. When you look at each other, you should point out value. You should point out what they did right, what what God says about them and, and what God has placed on the inside of them that call out those things, call out those giftings and callings. You're not supposed to look at somebody and just point out everything bad that you can find about them, about how they look, how they act, what they do, how, they, how they're not doing what they should do. Don't get the spirit of the ref on you. You weren't born with a yellow flag. Point out value in people. Because once you see that you're valuable and you're worth something, it's a whole lot easier to see value in other people. Once you're not so insecure about yourself and you're wondering if you're worth anything and i got to cut everybody else down so that I feel like I'm at least equal or above by cutting everybody, that, that's backwards. Once you realize how valuable you are to the Father, then you look around and you know how that feels to you and how much He loves you, and you want them to realize how valuable they are too. Everybody in your world, you want them to know. See, it changes the way you act. You have to realize that you're valuable. I heard this guy uh, talking about, he was a cashier at Ryan's, and uh, he said it was the middle of the summer, and it was, you know, 90-something degrees outside. And somebody came walking in the front door of Ryan's with a hoodie on. And the hood was pulled over and they had on gloves. And he was like, hmm, that's weird. And as they walked towards him, he thought, man, that'd be funny if they tried to rob me. Sure enough, they walk up to the register, pulled out a big knife out of the little pocket on the front of the hoodie. And said, you're being robbed. Open the register. He said, you know what I did? I said, no, what did he do? He said, open the register. 
you're welcome to it, and took a couple steps back. And he said, I mean, I've had everybody, he said, mostly rednecks, like, man, why didn't you fight him? You should have, you could have wrestled that knife out of his hand. He said, why? That wasn't my money. He said, that was Ryan's money, and I'm pretty sure Ryan's got plenty of money. He said, now, if the dude would have said, open the register and give me your wallet, I'd have fought him. Because now you're messing with something that matters to me. You're messing with something that I've got something invested in. He said, I didn't have any money in it. Well, I didn't even have any credit cards in there, but my driver's license was in there, and if he would have stole that, I'd have to go sit at the DMV. So I'm going to fight you rather than do that. (laughs) It was valuable to him. He didn't care when it wasn't his money. It's valuable to me. He was invested. You know, Julio Jones, well, now that they've done, they've gave him a promise for next year and all these, the new contracts and stuff. But as it was, he was making about $11.5 million a year, roughly, somewhere around there. Um, and then, as we all know, like when the Falcons got him as a rookie from Alabama, they traded. Like, I think four draft picks they gave for him and three firstborn children and six coaches left arms or something. Like, it was ridiculous. They mortgaged the farm, and he turned out to be worth it. I'm glad they did. But my question for you is, do the Atlanta Falcons think he's valuable? Yeah. They think he's real valuable. They're willing to pay him a lot of money and trade a bunch of stuff just to get him. They think he's valuable. I've seen some paintings and some art. I saw a painting last week that looked like splatter paint. To me, just like a little kid could have splatter painted it, and it sold at an auction for $2 million. I I probably wouldn't even hang it in my house if I, like, you know, if somebody gave it to me, I'd be like, yeah, thanks. It's a $2 million painting. The value of something is found in what someone is willing to pay for it. That painting sold for $2 million, then that's the value of it. It's worth $2 million. What's your value? What's your worth? If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and that God sent his only son to die on the cross, whenever you need to see or find your worth, look at the cross. Remember the cross. There is no higher price that could have been paid. The God of the universe had one son. And he sacrificed him for you to be in relationship with you so that you could be made new and that you could be found in him. You're pretty valuable. My value is not determined by the mess that I've made, but by the price that Jesus paid. Two more quickly and I'm going to wrap it up. Third one, in Christ I'm unconditionally loved. It's not about what you do. You've got to know that to live in Christ. I am unconditionally loved. 
if this is not true, if you don't believe this, and not just in your relationship with God, but with a spouse or any other relationship, if you don't believe that there is unconditional love, then that relationship is based on and built on works. Period. Because you believe that I have to do something to earn love or they have to do something to earn my love, and that's not real love. That's selfishness. And there's no selfishness in love. So if you don't believe that you are unconditionally loved, then it's not real love. And if you can't believe that God can unconditionally love you, then you're back to works. You might as well grab out the old Ten Commandments and start trying to keep them. Because we're going right back to works. You have to believe that you are unconditionally loved. It's not about what you do. It's about what was done for you. That has to be the foundation. I have a problem loving certain people. Do you? You got anybody in your life that's hard to love, hard to love. They don't make it easy. I do. Or just even like certain groups of people for some of us are just hard to love. Right? Those of you that are parents... What about your child? Are they hard to love? Well, some, no. <laughs> no. It's not hard to love your kids. It's easy. Oh, yeah, well, what if they make a big mess? Still love them. It's a good thing. You're God's kids. Oh, I've messed up pretty bad, though. Okay, well, he knew you were going to mess up. He still created you with a purpose. It's not about performance. It's about position. It's not because they're worthy that you love your children. It's not because they deserve it or they've earned it. It's because they're your kids. Fourth one. And we'll close. In Christ, I trust God's timing. This one's kind of difficult. Because I don't like God's timing sometimes. I like things to be a little faster or a little different. Or you know, sometimes I got to wait. And other times I don't like His timing because He's pushing me to do something I'm not ready to do. So usually when we talk about God's timing, we talk about how aggravating it is to wait. But sometimes I don't like God's timing because I would rather wait. And he pushes me into something like preaching. You know, like, yeah, hold, 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 I don't like this timing. I'm not ready. He's like, yeah, you are. God's timing. But if we're going to live a life in Christ, then we have to trust God's timing. Trust the process. Trust that He knows more than we know. Look at Luke 9. Luke 9, 57. Jesus and the disciples, they're all walking around. And, and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. 
I mean, a lot of people, Jesus went up and called them like the disciples. And that's what Jesus' call was. Hey, you, come and follow me. That was Jesus' main call to disciples. And we're all supposed to be disciples. All right, so Jesus' main call was come follow me. Well, this guy comes up to Jesus and he's like, hey, I'm going to come and follow you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Okay? I've had people say that to me. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Huh? And Jesus said, yeah, right. No, you're not. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now, I used to read this and I was like, man, Jesus is kind of. That was kind of a jerk move, you know, like, hey, I want to come follow you, Jesus, but can I just please go bury my father? And Jesus is like, no, let the dead bury the dead. You want to follow me, you come now. I'm going to go bury my father, jerk. You know, like, that's how I've always read this story, and I, that's why I never preach from it, because I'm like, I don't understand, Jesus, when you have a bad day or something. Jeez, us. <laughs> but when you look into it, and you look at that story, guess what I found out? His dad wasn't dead. His dad was alive. You see, what he meant by, let me go and bury my father first, and then I'll come and follow you, was, especially in their culture, and we still do it now, but like, when your dad dies, you get an inheritance. And back then, when your dad died, remember the prodigal son? He talked his dad into selling everything and giving me what I own, what is mine now, and split it up between me and my brother. And so that would have been the family business, the houses, the property, the animals, the wealth, everything that your father has accumulated in his whole life. And then he would, you would get that when he would die. So what this man was saying to Jesus was not. Let me run back over here to Bethlehem and attend my dad's funeral, and then I'll be right back. I'll meet you in an hour. How I've read it before. What he was saying is, yeah, that sounds great, and I want God to use me, and I want to be an impact on the kingdom of God, but wait till one day when I'm financially stable and I get everything else worked out and in my family situated and have my flocks and my animals and I get my inheritance, and then I'll come back to you later in life and I'll follow you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Stop worrying about all this stuff that, that you think you're supposed to worry about and the world says you're supposed to worry about and your wealth and your fame and your problems and your inheritance and this and that. I said, come and follow me and preach the gospel. Come now. His timing was come now, not wait till one day. One day God's going to use me. One day I'm going to step out and preach. One day I'm going to... Bless somebody. One day I'm going to feed the hungry. One d- and you fill in the blank. One day I'm going to get up the courage to stand down there in the front and worship. Do it now. 
God's timing. Jesus is saying, stop worrying about the treasures and put the kingdom first. Remember, seek ye first the kingdom and all these things, all this other stuff, it'll be added to you. Lots of people, they get mad at God because he said no. Or he's silent. And the truth is, you can't handle what you're asking for. He's waiting on you to get strong enough, on you to grow up a little bit, on you to stop running in the ditch. And then he's going to give you that nicer vehicle. Or whatever it is. Remember I gave you the illustration a couple weeks ago that my 10-year-old Sky, he can't drive my car. It doesn't matter how many times he asks, I'm going to say no because I'm a good, good father. That's me protecting him and all of you and everything around because he'll wreck it. Doesn't matter how many times he asks, I've been a faithful son for 10 years. I've prayed for this and you deny me, Father. Yes, and I'm going to keep denying you for about six more years. And we get mad at God because we're like, God, send me a spouse. I'm ready to be married. And God's like, no, you're not. Hang on. Hold up. I'm doing something different in you. I'm do- well, God, send me a good job that I can not Get ready. It's a seed. Get ready for that. Grow. God, we can fill in 20 blanks. And we like to look at the people around us and compare ourselves to them. Well, well, that person was married at that age and this person was. So why am I not? And you can't compare yourself and your life and your story to other people. Because you're unique. And you're so valuable and one of a kind and loved by God that he's got a different idea for you. But to be okay with that, you got to learn to trust in his timing. Whether that's faster than you want, or most of the time, way slower than you want. That I've seen. But we have to learn to trust his timing. God, I'm ready. Give it to me now. God's like, trust me. You're not quite ready yet. You still need to grow. You got to get out of that ditch first. Put up some guardrails. And I'm going to give you more. How? Live in Christ every day. Every decision. Choose life. Not death. And you'll see the growth. The waiting is hard. And this is the point in the journey where you stop believing. See what I did there? Point in the journey where you stop believing. Do you think there were days that James Brown didn't feel good? Oh, yeah. The devil went down to Georgia, but he didn't stay. Mama said there'd be days like this. 
In Christ, all things are new. In Christ is used 140 times in the Bible. The Bible only talks about being a Christian, I think once or twice, but 140 times it talks about being in Christ or found in Christ. And about 35 of those times are telling you who you are. It's directly tied to your identity. In Christ, you are sons and daughters. In Christ, go study that. Look up, just pull up in Christ and look at how many different things pop up and how many different scriptures that you can read about who you are in Christ because that's who you really are. That will show you your worth. It'll show you your value. It tells you who you are. That's your homework. So in Christ, I'm forgiven. In Christ, I'm valuable. In Christ, I am unconditionally loved. And in Christ, I trust God's timing. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. God, thank you that you woke us up and that we've got another day of life and that we can choose life. We don't have to live in death. Doesn't matter who we are, where we came from, what circumstances we're facing, that we can choose your life and your peace. And that by choosing to live in Christ, we will advance and we will grow and we will keep moving down the open road of life. Yeah, we're going to run in some ditches every now and then, but God, help us to not stay in the ditch. Help us to be in relationship with people that can pull us out of the ditch and that can send us on our way. God, give us the wisdom and the courage as your children, knowing who we are to set up guardrails to keep us from destruction. Why? Because we want to be who you've called us to be. We want to make an impact on the kingdom. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.